This is Space Waffles, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome to Space Waffles. I'm your host, Arzu, and today I am so excited to present a very special first for us here at Space Waffles. So back in June, we were honored to be joined by Star Wars author Jason Fry to talk about storytelling, The Clone Wars, The Last Jedi, the process of writing, and everything in between. From Ewoks to The Bad Batch, it was a really fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy. If you want more from Space Waffles, be sure to check out our links down in the show notes. But for now, without further ado, Jason Fry. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So one of the reasons we actually started Space Waffles was I wanted a place to talk about books. Candace wanted a place to be passionate about things like Rebels, which you've heard before we started recording. <laughs> so, so this Amazing. is really exciting because you kind of you kind of bridge that gap with like your animation experience, your your book writing. So so we're excited to have you here. So oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm behind on Bad Batch though. I'm a I'm a bad fan. But have you started at all? Or are you oh, waiting yeah, to yeah, like binge yeah. it? Oh, I, I think I'm I'm one or two episodes behind, but. The kind of, but enough that a couple of things got spoiled, which is sort of my fault. That's when you know you're overdue, when you're like, oh my God, I wish I hadn't seen that. But uh, um, no, it's great. Yeah. And I'm, I just, I, you know, I say this all the time, but I mean, little kid me, there was a Star Wars movie every three years and there was the one monthly Marvel comic. And then occasionally like a novel would show up with no warning. And, and there was a newspaper strip, but um, my parents didn't subscribe to the newspaper that actually had comics, so I never got to read that. But that was it. And so, like, animation in particular was was just, I mean, it was just such a dream come true. Like, the idea of there being a new, like, on-screen Star Wars story once a week, I just I just can't get over it. I'm like, this is, uh, my my younger, my kid self would have been like, what an unbelievably wonderful world. Like, how do we push fast forward and get there faster so that I can be this happy? So... Yeah, um, yeah. Clone Wars, Rebels, Bad Batch, all of it. Oh gosh, I love it. Well, okay. Since you brought up animation, we just released an episode on the Ewoks cartoon, and I want to know what your thought on the Ewoks cartoon was because we're kind of <laughs> split on it. Um, the, you know, I was the wrong age for the Ewoks. I was fourteen when Return of the Jedi came out, which is and fourteen is right about the age where you start becoming cynical because you think that's what you're supposed to do. And so I was very much that way about Return of the Jedi. Period, which is. It's kind of unfortunate because you know, once you start down that path, you know, forever does it die. So that movie, the Ewoks never quite worked for me. And so I kind of grudgingly did the cartoons just because, I mean, as I said back at the time, like if you wanted Star Wars, it wasn't that much. So, you know, you had to take the Ewok uh, cartoons just to be a completist. But, um, but I really loved the droids cartoons. Those were a lot of fun. And just so random and weird in that sort of old Flash Gordon way. But what, what did you guys think of them? You were split. That's curious. Uh, Candace hated it. I'm, okay. I'm. I wasn't in the right front. You weren't in the right front. Yeah, I. I was like not in a mood for it. I'm preparing to re-entering society, and I'm very stressed about it because I've just okay. been in my apartment with my dog for a year. Yeah. So I'm like stressed out and I'm like, those Ewoks were not helping me with their high-pitched voices. I got yelled at a lot <laughs> for making her sit through it. Yeah. I, I thought it was okay. It reminded me of stuff I used to watch as a kid, but yeah. it was like background noise. It, Neither just, here nor there. The part that's fun is like, I don't know. I, I get my backup when people are very are very rigid about what Star Wars can and can't be. And, you know, those are both basically fairy tales with magic berries and stars and, you know, fairies and everything else. And I don't know, anything that sort of explodes the borders of acceptable Star Wars, I'm like, that's a good thing. It reminds us all that you know, th this can be anything and don't be all doctrinaire about it. Yeah, and it's like not for us. And we don't yeah. have like the nostalgia yeah. factor because we didn't watch it as kids. Right. We didn't have access to it. Yeah. And yeah, so I think like, yeah, if I was watching it like with a nostalgic view, it'd yeah. be very different. Yeah, it's such a hard digital lesson. Like maybe this isn't for you, which yeah. you know, is something we could all, uh, we could all stand to learn and be reminded of. Especially, especially in this space. <laughs> so so backing it up just a little bit because we talked about you sort of feeling cynical as Return of the Jedi came out but because you were you know obviously into Star Wars so what is your Star Wars story like how did you how did you get into it 
Oh, I, I was the absolute perfect age. I was, so I was eight years old. I just turned eight in May 1977, which, you know, was the age for movie magic to have kind of the maximum possible effect on you. And um, it, it was very funny because, I mean, you know, I'm old enough that I actually do date back to the, quote, world before Star Wars. Um, and I, so I remember very keenly, like, you know, all my friends wanted to see this movie. You have to see this movie. And it was, you know, it was divided into those who had seen it and those who hadn't. But we were all going to see it, obviously. But it was bizarre because it was this phenomenon. Like, everyone's parents and brothers and sisters, no matter who you were, were going to see this movie. Like, every, literally everybody was going to do it. It was very strange if you didn't. And so we finally, you know, trucked off to the like um, the theater in Stony Brook, New York, and saw it. And you know, I didn't really know what to expect other than having heard it was fun. And but the you know, Princess Leia's little ship goes across the screen, and then the the spear point of Darth Vader's star destroyer, and then that ship keeps going and going and going and going. And I was just sitting there, just dumbstruck in the audience. And by the time you know, you saw the engines of that Star Destroyer, I was just hooked and floored and, you know, trying to breathe. And I mean, it, it changed my life. I mean, I was already thinking about stories and storytelling and wanting to write my own, um, but I'd never imagined there could be stories like that, that were just, you know, hugely fun and exciting and full of action and all this stuff, but also had these depths to them. Like you could sense, um, even in the original Star Wars, that this was about more than that. It was about you know, family and one's one's place in the universe and causes and doing the right thing and things that are lost and, you know, all these kind of big themes. And I mean, did I know all that as an eight-year-old? No, but, you know, I'd, I'd still, like anybody at eight, I'd read a lot of stories. And so that was in there somewhere and just, you know, it, it changed my life. I It made me imagine very different stories and then try to put them into play. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was magical. It was it was just amazing. It was a clear before and after. So so when this started to inform, you know, because you wanted to tell your own stories, did you then decide that that's the kind of story you wanted to tell or was that more gradual? Oh, yeah. No, I, I probably wrote as a, you know, as like a, a 9, 10, 11 year old, I probably wrote about 8 million sort of Star Wars knockoff stories always in. Um, my parents were college professors, so I always had those like square blue exam books that kids used to use. <laughs> like they'd bring me stacks of them and I just filled them. You know, you could probably get like, I don't know, like 600 words in one of them. And I just filled those in big stacks with, you know, epics I hadn't thought through so they didn't go anywhere. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it informed everything. Um, you know, I wrote what we now call fan fiction. I wrote a little bit of that when I was a teenager, but you know, there was no internet, there was nowhere to put it. So I was the only reader ever. Um, and then, you know, I was, I became a, I became a journalist cause I wanted to write for a living. And, you know, that was the fastest way there and wrote a, a very literary novel in my early twenties that was pretty good, but I never got published and just eventually got my shot um, through Star Wars originally working for the insider. And then, you know, RPGs and then whatever books they'd let me write. And I've just gone on from there um, with whatever they'll let me write uh, anytime I can. Okay, so let's, let's jump right into that then. So the newest book, which we were both very excited about, I think Candace was just over the moon about this new one, the Clone Wars character encyclopedia. So I noticed like a lot of the stuff you write is these sort of reference guides and character guides and things like that. Did you gravitate towards those yourself as a reader, like when you were younger, or is this just sort of what you fell into with Star Wars? Yeah, um, absolutely. Though there were some, there were there were really a lot fewer of them then. I mean, it was just you know, IP to use that terrible term um, didn't tend to generate those kind of books as often as it does now. I mean, unless you had a, a big property that had a lot of geeky appeal, like say Star Trek or something like that. Um, but yeah, I love those where I could get them. Uh, one that was a huge influence was something called the, the Atlas of Middle Earth. I was a big um, Tolkien geek. And um, uh, the author of that had done these really intricate journey maps of the whole Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, etc. Um, and also little speculative things like trying to figure out what Tolkien's whole world looked like from references and the Silmarillion and stuff like that. And, you know, you can draw a direct line between that book and uh, The Essential Atlas, which I wrote with Dan Wallace. 
Um, I mean, that's where the dream of that began. I was like, you know, how do all these planets in the Star Wars galaxy fit together? Like, I, I want a book um, that would let me do that, which, you know, eventually Dan and I had to write it ourselves, but, you know, however you get there. Um, so, yeah, I, I always liked lore like that. I always liked, you know, world building and, and taking apart, um, you know, fictional universes and seeing how they worked. But um, but my my writing interests were always bigger. I mean, I've always been interested in, in fiction and everything else, too. And, you know, originally lore was just, you know, what, what I could get. Um, you know, my, my first, um, stuff that weren't, um, insider, uh, interviews was on the RPG side back in the Wizards of the Coast days. And so, um, you know, that was, that was a way into it, but, um, you know, I like both. And actually, you know, one thing that's really great is, is oftentimes I've had multiple Star Wars projects at once, one kind of a lore book and one on the fiction side. And one thing I've found is that they'll, they'll sort of recharge each other. Like I can actually do more work because, you know, the, those different disciplines or whatever are kind of drawing on different parts of my brain. So I can write, you know, lore in the evening and fiction in the day and, and kind of get more done. So, um, yeah, but I like to say, you know, if I can kind of hear the John Williams music in my head, I'm good. Um, nonfiction, fiction, fiction, what have you, it all works for me. Yeah. I wanted to know, like, how do you start like with a guidebook like this? Like, do you just go, okay, Ahsoka? <laughs> a is for Ahsoka. A is for Ahsoka. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that one was, was easier than most because we knew it was an update to um, the original Clone Wars encyclopedia. And so, you know, the question was kind of, you know, what worked in the first one? How can we, um, you know, how do we keep what worked, tweak that formula a little bit going forward? And then, you know, from there, uh, really, how do we present you know, many, many more characters. I forget how many seasons the first one has. It's something like three or four. So like every character is a full page um, entry. So we wanted to figure out, you know, how can we approach that a little differently from these little kind of one paragraph entries to, you know, letting characters have have um, two pages, for instance, characters like Ahsoka. And then, you know, the, the fun thing and also the agonizing thing in any book like that is then figuring out the list, like, um, you know, who's in, who's out and, um, you know, most of those calls are kind of at the margins with interesting kind of cameo characters. But, you know, one of the great things about Clone Wars is that, you know, even those cameo characters feel fully realized. I mean, they, re they feel like real characters you just happen to see for only a moment. So that was really fun to do. Um, there's one funny story about that book, though. Like, in the original uh, Clone Wars encyclopedia, which way I think I have somewhere. Oh, yeah. This one. Um, in the original one, we didn't have that many characters. So the, I think there are like a dozen clone pilots, each of whom like showed up briefly and probably got blasted by battle droids. And um, when we're doing that one, my, my editor was like, you know, this, this bio sounds a little too much like that bio. And I finally kind of had a fit and I was like, none of them do anything different. And they're quite literally the same person. Like, <laughs> What do you want me They're to do? They're literal clones. Hawk and Warthog are literally the same person. Like, what can I do? Wait, so, is Warthog real? Yeah. yeah. So a relief for this one was, you know, a lot fewer clone pilots, which definitely, um, you know, lets us do some other things. But um, yeah, it was a really fun, fun book to do. And um, also really great to revisit that one. Um, something happened to me with the original character encyclopedia. It was, it was a book that would get brought up to me a lot at book signings and cons. Um, this happened a couple of times this way, uh, a kid, a young boy or girl with his or her parents. And they would say something like, you know, my son or daughter didn't used to read really wasn't that enthusiastic about reading until this book. And they kind of apologetically hand over this really dog-eared, ragged, just beat the heck copy of the character encyclopedia. And I, you know, what I said was, you know, there is no bigger compliment to an author to hand over an absolutely battered copy of their book because it shows that it's been loved and read a lot. And I had never had that experience of somebody telling me that. And it was a great reminder of what writing for kids can do and what a responsibility it is. So, you know, it just makes me so happy to think you know, that that book kind of unlocked reading for uh, for some kids so that they read a whole lot more. And so we had, um, so it meant, you know, even more to me than a fun Star Wars project. And so it was really great to 
come back at it with uh, with the update, and hopefully that um, you know sparks a whole bunch more readers. Yeah, it's a gateway book. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Gateway to reading, gateway into the Clone Wars. Yeah, Clone Wars both. It works all. We're big. We're big Clone Wars fans. Yeah, so we're not yeah. bad about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so we are like I just said, both big um, Clone Wars fans, and mm -hmm. I'm assuming you must be too because that's sort of where you're. Yeah. Where you where you started with all this? So what what is it about the Clone Wars for you that um, draws you in? I mean, you know, I mean, let, let's not look past the obvious. I mean, they're they're super fun, and you've got you know yeah. things going pew pew and lightsabers, <laughs> and, you know, battles and, and robots and all that stuff. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of enough right there. But one thing I, I think is really interesting about the Clone Wars is um, the ending is predetermined. Um, yeah. and it ends terribly, you know, yeah. when you, the, I mean, the hero is going to become a war criminal and like the scourge of a galaxy. Um, you know, the, the, um, you know, Padme is going to die, you know, all the Jedi, pretty much all of them are going to die or live the rest of their lives in hiding. The Republic that you're rooting for is going to fall. It's not just going to fall, but the um, you know the soldiers that, that you've learned to see as people and not interchangeable cogs are going to do this terrible thing that they're helpless to present. So, you know, in a weird way, it's like I mean, there's the old uh, I think it's about Hitchcock, the old Hitchcock line that you know a, a suitcase under the table in Act One contains oh, a bomb that's going to explode in Act Three, and the tension is like figuring out if the heroes are going to disarm the bomb, and in the Clone Wars they're not going to disarm the bomb. It's going to go off. And so that's, you know, for an already really interesting show, that's like a whole nother really amazing level. And, you know, this couldn't be my experience, but I'm, I'm really curious, um, you know, what kids who grew up with the Clone Wars, you know, what does that do to their sense of, of fiction and possibilities to find out like, oh, that's the ending. And it's really tragic until a generation later. So... Mm -hmm. One of my friend's ki kids has yeah. not seen Revenge of the Sith. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, no. yeah. He loves Clone Wars. He has no idea what happens to Anakin. And his mother does not know how to, like, ex like explain this. Because he's, like, six. He hasn't oh, seen yeah. Siege of Mandalore, then. No. Oh, yeah. You got to have I had to watch like, it before yeah. and tell her what happened. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that's fascinating. That, that's yeah, so he amazing. sees Anakin as his hero. And he's right. And he is right. And, and for a while, well. we thought Ahsoka was going to die. Like, before oh, yeah. Rebels, we were like, well, I guess she has to die even before Order 66. Because how else is she not yeah. in Revenge of the Sith? I'm, and I remember that was one of the really interesting things in the early fan debates. I mean, you know, Star Wars fans being Star Wars fans, like, oh, this is new. I hate it. And so, you know, in the early days when everybody was like, oh, Ahsoka's a brat. I can't stand this character. You know, it went from it's okay. She, it's okay. She has to die to, you know, once they, once the vast majority of fans embrace the character to, it went to, Oh my God, she has to die. This is terrible. How can this not happen? So yeah, that was really entertaining watching, watching that all unfold. I never had that tension. I didn't start Clone Wars until the first season of Rebels was out. So oh, okay. I oh, went no. in knowing that Ahsoka makes it. So I'm like, I, okay, was, I, can get I was there opening day of the movie because they released it in theaters. Yeah. And because I had seen like every Star Wars movie in theaters and watching it. And I was like, why are they introducing this cute little girl? Yeah. <laughs> Gonna die. Yeah. I didn't love her completely then, but I was like, what are kids going to think? Yeah. Because I was no. a teenager then. Well, you know, it's funny. There was there was a good lesson there, too, about, um, you know, episodic television in Star Wars. Like, you know, the the creators had to have faith in themselves that she is a little bit of a brat in the beginning. She's learning. She's 14. She's barely, yeah, she's barely. All 14 are among us at 14 was not a brat. Oh, God, no. I'm a, I'm a brat now. And I'm like, what? Four times 14. But, um, yeah, but, yeah, they, I really admire the fact that they had to have faith in their story. And be like, yeah, she's a brat. That's the point of the story. We're gonna we're gonna have some time to grow, and hopefully, the audience will come with us. I thought that was really cool looking back on. And I but it was it. you know it was a new experience for a lot of us. Like, yeah. oh, you know, we're gonna watch characters grow and change over years. That's not just over you know a two hour movie. So yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I love you. Her can character post. development. I love that. So show. I just love it. 
Yeah, her character development's amazing. Yeah. It's just it's just like when you see Luke and like a new hope to Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi. It's just that yeah. change. Exactly. And you, exactly. you get to see it more in detail because you see what you know happens to her. Yeah. Like every week of her life almost. What did you say, Marcy? It's almost like you see every week of her life. So you really Yeah, like, you do. Because it's only you really like you see everything change. Because it's like seven seasons for three years. So it's like yeah. really slow. She gets to have all those pilots die on her watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those pilots who didn't get a chance to have any personality. Oh, it's so good. Do you have a favorite arc of Clone Wars? Ooh, favorite arc. Oh, that's a good one. Um... Oh, there's so many. I mean, I loved one of the early ones that really struck me. I love the the first Ryloth arc um, with that wonderful episode with um, Numa, I think your name is, and then and Boyle and Waxer, the troopers. Um, I thought that was a really wonderful. It was kind of what Star Wars does best. I mean, it was kind of a it was a well worn war story, but really brought into the Star Wars universe beautifully. Where you know she keeps saying Nera Nera, which they. Um, you know, they they sort of assume means clone or something dismissive or something like that. And then, um, you know, she says it means brothers, which is really beautiful for setting up what we were going to learn about the clones. Um, that one really struck me. Um, you know, I loved all the Mandalore episodes. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a one-off that w was really interesting for me um, was the episode uh, Bounty, the one with Asajj Ventress and the Crystal um, Underworld. And, you know, because I was doing a lot of, of, of books back then uh, around Clone Wars, like I had read the script for that and a lot of things before seeing it. And I remember reading the script of Bounty and I was, I was like, okay, I get it. And it didn't feel like much was going on there. But then you saw that episode and the visuals were so amazing and the pacing. Um, and, you know, not knowing what, say, the Kagi Warriors or, or C-21 High Singer looks like or how they move or how they fight and all that, and it was just, a, it was a captivating episode. And so, you know, it, it, I not only loved that episode, but it was a great lesson in seeing how much of the show is kind of um, improvised or built on the foundation of the scripts uh, in terms of production and all that. So, you know, as a, as a creator, and in that case, as an adapter, that, that was a terrific lesson seeing like, you know, okay, the script is kind of the the bare bones and they're going to take it in some really interesting directions uh, in production. Um, the one flip side of that though is, I mean, as an adapter, it could be really frustrating. I mean, I adapted the, the Mandalore arc uh, for a scholastic book and, you know, I wasn't able to see those episodes before writing that book, but, you know, the fight scenes were basically, they fight, you know, which, you know, Obi-Wan and Maul where, where Sabine, um, um, Sabine Satine dies in the throne room. I mean, that's an unbelievable lightsaber duel. It's one of the great ones uh, in Star Wars. I mean, movies, TV, anything, in my opinion. But on the page, you had no hint of that because you know they were going to work it out in production. And so, you know, anyone who reads that adaptation, there's a lot about the, you know, the characters and the noise lightsabers are making because I had no idea what they were going to do and just kind of had to make it up. When you mention it, that one's my favorite arc. Yeah. That one and the earlier one with Satine as well. Oh, it's such a great arc. And it's real emotional heft. and yeah. So but, much crying. Yeah. So many tears. So, okay. So you mentioned adaptation. So that means sure. I'm going to shift gears very wildly and go right into the sequel trilogy. Right. So, um, so you adapted The Last Jedi mm -hmm. as a novelization. But before that, you kind of did these two Journey to Force Awakens books that sort of bridged that gap. Yep. So what was it like for you as like an original trilogy kid to sort of be the one to bridge that gap into the new era or be one of the ones to bridge that gap? Like, what was that like? Um, there, there's, there's a funny story about that. Um, it was great and a huge honor and a little mildly terrifying. Um, so growing up, I was a, I would, I was a, a Han kid. Um, I, I thought Luke shouldn't have joined the rebellion. I thought he should have gone off and been a space pirate with Han and Chewie because that looked <laughs> really a lot more fun. And I was like, said he's going to go sit around and like take orders. Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you be a space pirate? Um, which is probably why I wrote, you know, my own space pirate trilogy, Jupiter Pirates, because I was like, yeah, that's what Luke should have done, obviously. Um, but so, you know, I was a, a Han kid and the Falcon is still to this day my favorite thing in, the, in all of Star Wars. And um, 
so they came to me for journey to the force awakens and they were like we want you to write um you know this book set in the original trilogy that's going to tie into the sequel trilogy and we want you to write um luke's first new canon lightsaber fight and i was like okay that, that sounds great um a couple of funny things happened what but i was telling this story about being i i well sorry i let me back up i was um I was a little nervous about it because I was a Han guy, not a Luke guy. And I felt I'd really never gotten that character. So I sent myself to kind of Luke boot camp and which was basically watching a new hope since I knew this was going to be set right after there and watching, um, watching his character in a way I really hadn't done before, but then also watching Mark Hamill's performance and, and trying to, to get the character in a way I didn't. And I got lucky in two ways. Um, one was there was actually on the force.net, there was this really interesting discussion of Luke going on and, and someone absolutely nailed it and said, Luke is gentle. He's not really an aggressive action hero. He's more passive. He's more thoughtful. And that makes him, um, really an interesting character. I, and I thought that's it. Absolutely. And if you think about it, like the only time in the original trilogy where we really see him as like a butt kicking action hero is the end of empire when he, abandons Yoda and goes off recklessly to save his friends. And he, he gets his behind kicked and everything goes wrong and he nearly dies. Everything is nearly lost. And so that really helped unlock it. The other thing was um, something in the, in the, I read in the, um, in uh, J.W. Rensselaer's wonderful book about the making of, of Star Wars. Um, it was about um, Hamill and George Lucas. And they were shooting the scene where he's tracked down 3PO and R2 and Hamill played the scene really angrily where, oh no, 3PO kind of yells at R2 and Hamill played the scene really angrily and Lucas said, cut. He was like, it's not a big deal. And Hamill was like, it is a big deal. I just caught these droids. He's going to be mad. And Lucas is like, no, it's not a big deal. He's solved the problem. And so Hamill went back and deliberately did the scene like as super quietly as he could. Like he exaggerated it, thinking that Lucas would be like, all right, we need to meet in the middle. Um, so he, and you, you see it on screen. He's, he's like, no, it's all right. Yeah. He's and a Lucas nice like, person. Like, yeah, and Lucas a nice like, person. Yeah. And Lucas is like, perfect. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then, but he described it as a way that's when he figured it out. Like Lucas is George and he would just watch George and watch how George reacted. To it. So anyway, those things together were my, my Luke boot camp and really helped me appreciate the character in ways that despite being a lifelong Star Wars fan, I don't think I had um, in writing that story, Weapon of a Jedi, but it had a funny sequel. I was at New York Comic Con um, talking about these books with, uh, I had to look at my book, with uh, Greg Rucka, who wrote the Han book in that series. And so I was telling this story about being a Han kid and not a Luke kid and being a little nervous about it. And Greg Rucka, who was this wonderful voice, was sitting next to me, we were sharing a mic, and he leans over and he goes, the funny thing is, I was a Luke kid. And I was like, <laughs> it's really weird to be writing Han. Am I ready for this? And we looked over at, at Mike Siblain of of, um, of Lucasfilm Publishing, who was, who was moderating the panel. And he looked at us <laughs> and he goes, he goes, why didn't you two idiots tell somebody? <laughs> but the answer was, we were both like, you know, we were both so happy to have this assignment that we yeah. weren't going to make waves, but we both wound up happier because we wound up with this greater appreciation of a character who, you know, hadn't been our childhood favorite. So, um, yeah, that was a fun book. It's, it's kind of a, you know, to this day, I read reviews of it. And I'm interested because it's it's a kind of a quiet story. It's kind of a fairy tale. Um, Luke goes off into the woods with the droids and the strange guide and you know, he's largely by himself, like learning to feel the force. So you know, I knew from the beginning, it wasn't going to be a big Sturm and Drang story. And it's always interesting reading that, like some readers like get that and think that was right. And some readers wanted like, you know, big butt kicking Luke, who, you know, basically we see for about, I don't know, 10 minutes in the entirety of Star Wars. So go figure. People are funny. Yeah. We like, we like soft Luke Skywalker here. Yeah, Luke is always just—he his actions always have to do with love and caring, and he's like the reason he is all kick-ass, like an empire or trying to be aggressive is because he's worried about his friends. Yeah, that's it. So like that's his motivation all the time, and people seem to forget that. Yeah, 
he's motivated by the love of it for his father, even in Return of the Jedi, and just yeah. and the, when he gets angry in Retur Return of the Jedi, it's because of his love of Leia. Yeah. It's feeling she's threatened. So yeah, you yeah. you got it. He wins by throwing away the lightsaber, which is kind of extraordinary for a big sci-fi action movie. Yeah, that's people cool. say like when he throws away his lightsaber, that's yeah. when he becomes a Jedi. Yeah. Like that's the moment. And it's like, yes, so good. <laughs> so, okay, jumping right into right into the last Jedi. Luke throws a lightsaber. Like There's my segue. Like Arzu yeah. does. Yes. Oh, segue. Yay. You like my you like my terrible segues. Luke throwing lightsabers. So the last Jedi. Um, so can you walk us through the process a little bit of writing a novelization? Like, did you have some leeway? Because there are scenes in the book that don't don't appear in the movie and to my memory don't appear in the deleted scenes either. Yeah. So it was, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And it, it started with the, the really kind of incredible generosity of, uh, of Ryan Johnson. Um, Ryan, it turned out had, he had not been able to see all the movies he wanted to see as a kid. And so novelizations had been really important to him. Like a lot of things he wanted to see, he'd experienced through those. So he, he cared quite a lot about this. Um, that was the first kind of starting point. Like, so this was not, I mean, he was incredibly busy. He was finishing up, um, I think, sound mixing on Last Jedi. But, you know, he took the time to sit down with me and we talked a lot about uh, characters and arcs and, and things like that. But, I mean, so this was important to him, which was great. And the other thing he did that was unbelievably kind and a lot of, of filmmakers would not have done is he gave me access to not just the shooting script, um, but to all the previous major iterations of the script. And he said, you know, anything you think uh, can work in here for your purposes, go for it, um, which was really, really kind. And that's so I was able to draw not just scenes here and there, but, you know, bits of additional dialogue and things like that uh, from those, uh, which was really great and gave me a much richer palette to work with. And again, something a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, writers, directors, because Ryan, of course, was both, um, would have been really protective of with good reason. But he was just generous from the beginning and just, you know, sent me off. Um, he also gave me some great advice, which has been um, my writing advice for everything uh, since he told it to me. He's, he talked about how, you know, there was a lot of kind of fateful stuff and a lot of big, heavy moments in Last Jedi. But he said he always tried to, to leaven those so that very quickly, a couple minutes later, you had something that was light and was fun and had that kind of Flash Gordon feel. And Ryan called that lift, not drag, which I thought was a great, great advice for any writer. Like you're gonna have these big moments, et cetera, but you gotta put some lift, not drag in there, you know, to let the reader kind of recover and engage differently. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. The The other part of that project from the get-go was, I mean, I had read the script and I had, you know, read these previous versions, et cetera. So I created kind of this, this huge Excel sheet of all the scenes and kind of all the beats. And that was used not just for me, but for some of the other um, uh, Last Jedi adaptations. Like we knew there was gonna be the comic adaptation, there was gonna be the junior novel. Um, etc. So we had this whole thing and then we, we went through and we found, you know, we, we, we went to kind of differentiate those a little bit. Like this works better for the junior novel. Let's save that for here. Here's something for the, um, for the comic, etc. And um, so that was a really interesting way of looking at the story and thinking it through. And then, you know, that included also some scenes that I knew from the beginning, either for myself or talking to my editor or talking to the folks at, um, at Lucasfilm, um, that I wanted some additional scenes that hadn't been in there, that weren't in there at all, um, that I wanted. And then, you know, some things that arrived um, late in the process. Um, there were a bunch of interesting things like that. Like, you know, the, the prologue, which attracted a lot of attention, yeah. Uh, before the book came out, that was something I'd had in mind um, as a really interesting scene. And was I was really dead set on starting the book that way. Like, that was me. Uh, my wonderful editor, uh, Elizabeth Schaefer, and I, we thought of um, Han's funeral as this early scene we wanted to see. We were like, you know, what, what's something we didn't, we, we're not getting in Last Jedi, we didn't get in, in TFA that we'd love to see. And we were both like, Han's funeral, that's an emotional powerhouse for Leia of a scene, I really wish I could have seen that. Okay, let's do it. Um, you know, another scene that gets talked about 
about a lot in that book. Um, well, a couple more. There, there's kind of the they call it the father daughter dance um, after the after the um, the second test with with um, Luke and Ray, which is is not in the movie and was in fact not in the deleted scenes. Like that came out of some of the earlier iterations of the script, and I got why Ryan hadn't included it, but I thought it was such a strange and sort of lovely scene that I wanted to give it a shot. And then, you know, another scene that gets talked about a lot was. Um, Leia and Chewie in the Falcon, where she kind of, um, you know, she kind of briefly gives into her emotions um, after the loss of Luke and, and everything else. Um, and that was, I mean, the book was, was literally done. I mean, it was being typeset, like we were finished. And um, Jen Heddle and, and, and Mike Siglan of, of Lucasfilm um, called up me and Elizabeth and they were like, we want one more scene. And I was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. You're, you're killing me here. Like really? Um, and then they, they explained what the scene was and what they wanted. And I was like, I was like, wow, absolutely. That's a fantastic scene. And I, I can't believe I'm going to get to write that and I better not screw it up. And so, you know, that, that was, I think, pretty much the last thing done for the book, but that came entirely uh, from Lucasfilm. So it was a really interesting mix of, you know, things that were Ryan's ideas that had been put aside for runtime or some other reason, uh, things that were my own ideas, um, you know, that worked, and you know, some things that turned out not to work that we cast aside, and then some stuff that came from Lucasfilm to kind of fill beats that they wanted. So, you know, it made it a lot of fun. You were constantly kind of changing gears and figuring out you know, what works best uh, for Ryan's story, which you have to be faithful to. Um, that's always the commandment. And then, you know, okay, what can we play some notes on uh, that might work better on the page than, you know, than it would on the screen? And how do we do that? I have to tell you the prologue to this book, I read ages ago, ages before I actually read the book, because yeah. there's a sample at the back of the Canto Bite book. And I'm just like, oh, Last Jedi thing. And I just flipped and I said like something about Luke Skywalker's wife. And I don't usually talk to myself when I read, but I actually screamed, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, 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 no. We need to read this book now. Yeah. And then obviously it turned out to be spoilers, a dream sequence, but, but still. So that was, that was quite the way to kick off the book. Um, yeah, it was so, fun. Yeah. That was, that was, that was something. And I love that it was, um, <laughs> I love that it was Cammy. Yeah. I thought that was very yeah the woman who's making fun of him and calling him wormy yeah you know, she actually does call him wormy there doesn't she at oh, one point but like uh, in, the, in the book maybe or yeah. he calls himself that he, it came up I and think, i was like oh yeah yeah well you know as we discussed people change you know look look at ahsoka and um yeah that was something i was thinking about like i mean the in the deleted scene in a new hope she's um you know fixer is her boyfriend but mm -hmm. you know fixer honestly doesn't really too much and so you know i imagine cammy got tired of that and realized like hey wormy actually has his head on straight even if he didn't become a, a galactic hero and as we established wormy is a sweetheart so yeah, yeah. he's yeah. a good dude yeah no that, that was fun to write though um it was funny it, it it leaked before the rest of the book and so oh my god there was like a week of of clickbait about it and um and I was just, yeah. Oh, I was just devastated. And I was under a, a gag order. I was like, I was like, I have to answer this. And everybody was like, no, you actually don't. The book's gonna be out in a week. Calm down. And so longest week, right? Yeah. Very yeah, long week. Was. But you know, eventually we got there and it's it's something, you know, it's something people still talk about. So uh so I guess I did my job as a writer. <laughs> So when you were sort of going through all this collaborative process with like Lucasfilm and with the other writers, um, I noticed there was a lot of overlap in the book, either thematically or just with little beats between mm -hmm. like your books, obviously, and then Claudia Gray's as well. So was yeah. that done like via Lucasfilm or was it like you and Claudia Gray sort of trying to figure out if you could incorporate any of that? Had you, where am I going with this? Had you like seen any of her? I guess it would be Princess of Alderaan coming out around the same time. Had um... you seen it while you were writing? Yeah, you know, I don't remember things uh, specifically to Claudia's work, at least not there. But, you know, I was, of course, very, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well versed in Star Wars from all the work I did. And so, you know, that was always fun for me. I was thinking, you know, how can we, in ways that the movie just doesn't have time for, you know, how can we kind of enmesh this book 
with all the other books so that, you know, it, it unlocks stories to give it some more context some more depth as a book. And also hopefully, you know, hopefully there were things that people were curious about that if they were new to Star Wars and that was their way in that, you know, set them off in other books. So yeah, there's references to, you know, Phasma and, you know, a lot of stuff with the force. Um, I like to say, you know, I couldn't have written that book without weapon of a Jedi. Cause it's um, the, the, imagining of the force there's a direct line between the two um but lots of stuff in the uh from a certain point of view anthologies on the force and yeah just little bits of, of absolutely everything there um which is just you know is more fun and but again it, something I, I had to learn as a writer is it just it has to be done in service of the story um you know if you're if you're just showing off for other kind of super fans like that's that's not that's not really what you're doing. It has to kind of deepen and add context to the story. Uh, the the thing I do remember with Claudia, who's 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 wonderful, and I'm I'm proud to to call a friend of mine, um, was when I was writing. I wrote a a wedge story in the Empire Strikes Back from a certain view, a uh, certain point of view anthology called Rendezvous Point, and I wanted to use uh, the Contessa, a character of Claudia's um, from Lost Stars, and. You know, if you supply a character to Star Wars, like, you know, it's like putting a toy in the sandbox. Like, that character belongs to every author. You know, it's not yours anymore. But there's still, you know, I knew Claudia had, um, I knew Claudia had introduced that character and I knew she meant something to Claudia. And so um, when I decided I wanted to use her for rendezvous point, I went and ran that part by her and said, you know, hey, does this scan for you? I invented some backstory for your character. Is that okay with you? Is there anything you want me not to do, not to change? Which is just, you know, just kind of authorial um, courtesy because I knew I knew we were gonna get a lot more books from Claudia and I didn't want to step on anything she might do. But, you know, that, that's something as authors we, we do, we don't have to do what we do do for time to time. Like I did it with, um, I wrote a, a Sloan short story a long time ago set at the Battle of Endor. And I did the same thing with, um, you know, I, I did the same thing with, for, with John Jackson Miller, just running it by uh, him to see, you know, does this, does this work for your depiction of the character you introduced? So yeah, it's a fun thing to do. So last thing about The Last Jedi, I promise. Um, <laughs> so you, you give like a lot of interiority to the characters and like sort of a glimpse inside their head, which obviously is what we is what we come to like novelizations for. But I was really struck with how you write Ray and Rose specifically, because yeah. you know, like I love these characters. So just yeah. like they felt so true to who they are in the novel. And this is not the first time you've written for them because you wrote, mm -hmm. you know, like the char the character works for them as well. So what is it about these two that is there anything about these two that appeals to you? Like what is it about what is it about them? Oh goodness! Um, Is there anything about them? Yeah, no, I I, I love both characters, and I, I'm very I'm very glad you know I'm very glad you you like my takes on them. Like it was a you know I wrote Ray and Ray's survival guide before I'd ever seen uh, the Force Awakens, which was you know a big responsibility. And you know I wrote uh, Rose and Page in a couple of books for um, uh, a couple of of the replica journals, which was really fun to do. So I'm really proud of my work with them, but. You know, Ray is such a you know such an interesting character. I mean, I think what a lot of of detractors of that character miss, and I mean, they miss a lot. But one thing they miss is that, you know, yes, she has these extraordinary powers that she kind of, in some ways, comes into by accident in that famous um, TFA scene, the interrogation scene with Kylo. But what they miss is that, you know, that she's terrified by that. You know, she's not ready for that. I mean, it takes her until a good chunk of the way through the last Jedi to really, you know, to almost want to be rid of these powers and the, this, this thing. Um, so she's a very, you know, she's a very capable, very, very scrappy hero in ways that are very appealing, but a very reluctant hero in a way that I think is very star Wars and makes for a very satisfying journey. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I just, I, I love that character and I love, you know, and they gave her such a great ensemble cast with, you know, with, with Finn in particular, um, who, you know, I always like to say is the, is the conscience of the sequel trilogy and just an extraordinary character. Um, and then Rose, you know, I loved what Ryan did there. It's a, a character we haven't seen much, kind of a, you know, she's basically a, a tech, a plumber who's, you know, thrown into heroism, 
You know, she's she's the one who works behind the scenes, behind the curtain. She's not used to this at all. And then she, um, you know, has to become a hero. Um, and that plus the um, something I, I really tried to bring out in the last Jedi novelization is just, you know, what her that she her sister died and her sister was everything. To her it was it was the last link she has to her homeworld, et cetera. And so how does she deal with the grief of her sister's death and, you know, essentially throws herself into a cause and, um, you know, and the, the cause to the exclusion of everything else. And then the, the great decision to pair her with Finn, who's going through the opposite journey. Like he's literally been a child soldier who's somehow shaken off his brainwashing. And the last thing he wants to do is join another cause. He's very resistant to that in ways that I think make a lot of sense. And he's, you know, for him, it's all about friendship and personal connections. He's trying to figure out how to get back to Ray and help Ray. And so, you know, she, they just, they don't, they're going opposite ways in reaction to something traumatic. And they keep talking past each other. Like Rose has thrown herself into the cause to honor her sister. And she doesn't understand why Finn is running from the cause. And Finn has devoted himself to a person. And, you know, once again, he's, he's basically literally a kid. Like he's never had a life. So he's kind of almost imprinted on this person he's learned to care about. And so he's all about that and rejecting a cause. So they have, they're, they're talking past each other all the time. And eventually they come together in this really beautiful way where Rose, you know, realizes it's not all about the cause. It's about people. And Finn realizes like, oh, there are causes worth fighting for. That's more than people. So they actually, because I mean, Ryan comes up with some wonderful, very human ironies. So they actually kind of go past each other again <laughs> and have to come back, um, you know, which then pays off so beautifully in episode nine or per, perhaps not. So we, we sort of talked about this bit a bit off the top, but yeah. um, other than Bad Batch, as a fan of Star Wars. So what's exciting you right now? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it, it's funny, but one thing that makes me really happy is I I was, I was I was talking to somebody about this the other day. We were trying to figure out, like, all the, the movies and TV things that are in production. And we were like, we were like, I know we're missing, like, three or four. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, going back to, you know, my world as a kid, I mean, what a world, like what a world where there are like major multi-million dollar top flight Star Wars projects that it's possible you've, you've forgotten about because there's so much stuff coming, which is just, it's just such a golden age. And I just love that. Um, the other thing for me is that um, I've been, I haven't read any of the High Republic stuff because I've been really busy. And I also, I figured since I'm really busy, I'm just going to let a bunch of that stuff, you know, by authors I really admire. Um, I'm going to let a bunch of that stuff kind of pile up some more so that when I have time, I can like, you know, deep dive into it for like two, three weeks at a time and really just totally geek out on it. So I'm really excited to do that. But I mean, I love it all. I mean, you know, what Marvel's doing, you know, is, is working at such a high level and, uh, you know, the books have been great. I loved, um, I loved Alex Freed's Alphabet Squadron trilogy, uh, which just finished up. And, um, you know, and, you know, Bad Batch and Mandalorian coming back and, and so much more, including some things I've forgotten. So, Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett. We are, we are, we are so reformed Boba Fett fans. We, we did not like him until The Mandalorian, and we are very happy we to were, be wrong. It's not that we didn't like him. We were kind of, like, indifferent to him. We didn't get him. Yeah. Well, I'm also, you know, a huge, you know, and I tell you everything else, like a huge action figure dork. So my new. He had the coolest action figure. Yeah, this new Return of the Jedi Boba figure. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah. This is what I wanted as a kid. So, oh God, I love it all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love hearing you say that. Yeah. That's, that's the great thing about the storytelling is, mm -hmm. you know, lots of people get to, you know, characters they might not have connected with, you get another shot at them. And, yeah. and while people yeah. have loved them for decades or, you know, they're super happy. So I don't know. it's just so Everybody much wins. Yeah. yeah, everybody, yeah. We're like, well, I guess we're on the Boba Fett fan train, you know? <laughs> Just head first into the Boba Fett yeah. fan train. And of Not course, even... Fennec. <laughs> Fennec is... And of course, Fennec Shand. Fennec, yeah, so we're just very yeah. excited. Yeah. So what's up next for you? Can you say? You uh, can't begin, but... Yeah, I have a book. Um, I have a book coming out later this fall from DK. Uh, it's it's called I'll probably get the title wrong because I'm a bad author. Uh, Star Wars Battles That Changed the Galaxy. 
which I don't think I can say too much about, but really, really fun book and um, worked with a, with a great team of authors or four of us on this book and, you know, really get to delve into uh, some, you know, take apart some key battles and confrontations that, you know, we know from the movies, et cetera, uh, in ways that are a little different. And that was, I mean, that was a huge amount of fun to do. And I think that comes out in September or October, something like that. Um, yeah. And beyond that right now, uh, working, working on my own stuff, but hopefully the galaxy far, far away will call me back. Cause, um, I'm always happy to tell stories. That. So we have a question we wanted to ask you just as sure. a way to wrap things up. So if you could live on any planet in the star Wars galaxy, which one would it be and why? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I like to say like, you know, Tatooine is not my speed. Dagobah is really humid. Hoth is cold. None of that works. Um, Mustafar is out for fairly obvious reasons. And I mean, I kind of live on Coruscant as it is. So I kind of get that one and Alderaan gets blown up. So, um, you know, I'll go with Cloud City because I mean, there's tourism, there's gambling, it's got beautiful sunsets. It seems pretty cool. And, you know, as we know from um, you know, that one little fleeting scene, which also yielded an action figure. Apparently they have ice cream. So <laughs> yeah, there we go. You could make? like hang out with Lando Calrissian. That's awesome. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I could get fleeced by Lando Calrissian. Yeah, place in Sabacc. <laughs> but what an honor that would be. Exactly. Yeah. You can put that lake down in your bio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thank you so, so much, Jason, for, for coming on today. We really, this was, yeah. this was a lot of fun, at least for, for me and I hope for you too. Oh, absolutely. No, it's, it's great talking Star Wars. Uh, it's great talking Star Wars with you guys. You've opened my eyes to some things that I'm excited to revisit. And yeah, this was a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Uh, sure. I'm on Twitter. I'm Jason C. Fry. I'm not Jason Fry, though he knows a lot about Star Wars and is much better looking and more charming than I am. So you follow him too, but I'm Jason C. Fry. Um, and I just switched over to uh, a Substack, Jason Fry's Dorkery, which isn't subscription or anything like that. But um, you know, you can catch up with what I'm doing over there. Or um, I'm also I'm on the Force.net on their literature boards. You know, if you ever have questions for me or just ask me on Twitter, like. Anything I can responsibly answer, I'm, I'm always happy to do it. So yeah, I'm not hard to find. Come find me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks.